The surprise hearing this week in front of the January 6th Select Committee was so well-plotted, so vivid, that it didn't really feel like a hearing at all. It felt like an episode of The West Wing. There was a single witness, Cassidy Hutchinson. Cassidy was an aide to Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows. Mr. Chairman, we uh, will begin today with an exchange that first provided Ms. Hutchinson a tangible sense of the ongoing planning for the events of January 6th. Cassidy's testimony started off with a bit of foreshadowing, a story about a late-night meeting between the chief of staff and the president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. She's walking with Rudy Giuliani, and he tells her, you know, something big is happening on January 6th. Slate's Ben Mathis-Lilly is acting as my guide to these hearings. He looked at me and said something to the effect of, Cass, are you excited for the 6th? It's going to be a great day. I remember looking at him saying, Rudy, could you explain what's, what's happening on the 6th? Uh, he, he had responded something to the effect of, we're going to the Capitol. It's going to be great. The president's going to be there. He's going to look powerful. And then she talks to Mark Meadows about it afterward, and he says things could get real bad on January 6th. So you're picturing this happening at night outside the White House and, and kind of feeling the foreboding starting to sweep over you already. I started calling the hearing this week Revenge of the Intern. That's how Cassidy Hutchinson started out in the White House, as an intern. I don't do that to minimize what she said. But to me, watching a 20-something staffer stand up and testify about the ways the Trump administration was working, it just underlined how absent real leadership was in the wake of the 2020 election. These hearings had a bit of an upstairs-downstairs feeling. And this aide, she seemed to know about all the skeletons in Trump's closet. It was really about all the things people in power do, like to and around people who have to clean up after them, you know? Yeah, uh, literally, in the case of the instantly infamous ketchup incident. The ketchup incident is one of the most stunning stories Cassidy told about running into the president's valet after Trump learned his attorney general was telling reporters he'd lost the election. Uh, apparently, Trump's reaction to that was to throw his lunch, I guess, against the wall. Which was causing them to have to clean up. So I, I grabbed a towel and started wiping the ketchup off of the wall to help the valet out. Um, and he said something to the effect of, he's really ticked off about this. I, I would stay clear of him for right now. He, he's really, really ticked off about this right now. And Ms. Hutchinson, was this the only instance that you are aware of where the president threw dishes? It's not. And are there other instances in the dining room that you recall where he expressed his anger? There were, there were several times throughout my tenure with the chief of staff that I was aware of him either throwing dishes or flipping the tablecloth. I mean, the headline on Slate earlier this week was something to the effect of, so that's what bombshell testimony looks like. It sounds like you agree with that. I think it was. I think within the first, you know, half hour of the hearing, it was pretty evident that this was probably worth, if not making it a surprise hearing per se, it was certainly worth everyone's time to be there. Today on the show, could this week's hearing change what accountability looks like for Donald Trump and the people who helped him? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. 
This week's hearing was notable to me for the fact that it was really just the testimony of one single person. There weren't the kind of flashy videos we've seen in previous hearings, not even all that much of an opening statement from Benny Thompson or Liz Cheney. It just sort of got right to it. And the first thing the commission talked about, they showed this map of the White House. And they were basically like, this is where Cassidy Hutchinson's office was. And this is where the president was. And it was this visual representation. This person you're about to hear from was very close to people in power. Did that strike you too? It was clearly premeditated. It seemed premeditated to me as a way of preemptively deflecting criticisms or or attempts to undermine her testimony by suggesting that she was too young to know what was going on, not not an important person, not a senior figure. And she is very young. She's what, 25? Yeah, I think she's 26 now, but she started working as an intern in 2018 in the White House. So this is not someone with a long career in politics, absolutely. But as they emphasize, not only with the map, but in a lot of questions to her, you know, asking her to talk about different powerful people, calling her, referring to her by her first name, pulling her aside, it was obviously meant to create a picture of her as someone who was involved in many of the crucial conversations. So where was Cassidy Hutchinson on January 6th itself? Like she was she was with President Trump, right? Yeah, and I think that just to me, it was the most crucial part of her testimony, maybe not the most sensational, but the most crucial as far as what the committee is hoping to accomplish as a as a kind of quasi legal case against Trump. She was with him when he traveled, went the short distance from the White House to the Ellipse, which is a kind of like the South backyard of the White House to give the speech, stop the steal speech, now a very famous moment. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen by emboldened radical left Democrats, which is what they're doing, and stolen by the fake news media. That's what they've done and what they're doing. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. And she was with him backstage with him and Mark Meadows as they were preparing for that speech when uh, some pretty significant conversations occurred. Yeah, it was clear, it sounds like, before Trump gave his speech that people were telling him, folks in this crowd have weapons, they're armed. How did he respond to that? He was upset in classic Trump fashion that not that they were armed or that that presented a dangerous situation, uh, but that it meant that they weren't passing through the metal detectors that were set up outside the perimeter of where he was going to be giving a speech. And so the area in front of the stage where he was going to be speaking from was not as packed with people as he wanted it to be for the TV cameras and for photos. Because he wanted it full and he was angry that we weren't letting people through the mags with weapons. So his concern was not really like, oh, there's, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of people outside with brass knuckles and bear spray and and in some cases, apparently flagpoles to which spears had been fashioned. Knives, guns in the form of pistols and rifles, um, bear spray, body armor, spears and flagpoles. He wasn't concerned about that. He was concerned about, well, can't we just get rid of the metal detectors and let these people in? to watch my speech about how they need to go to the Capitol right after this. He wanted a picture, right? He said, get rid of the mags, the magnetometers, the metal detectors, because I want more people here to hear me talk and they're not going to hurt me. 
I was in the vicinity of a conversation where I overheard the president say something to the effect of, they're not here to hurt me, take the effing mags away, let my people in, they can march to the Capitol from here, let the people in, take the effing mags away. That was probably the most striking and crucial line in the whole in the whole day, uh, from my perspective. It's implied he knew that they were maybe there to hurt somebody because that's why you carry a weapon. But he knew that wasn't him. And so everything that follows on January 6th, I think, kind of now goes through that moment where the president, according to this testimony, was aware of the potential for violence and signaled not only his indifference to that, but his understanding of who was going to be the victim of the violence. The other thing that we learned from Cassidy Hutchinson is how much President Trump wanted to go to the Capitol on January 6th. Of course, in his speech at the Ellipse, he promised to go with the people who were there who had become the rioters, but he didn't. But we didn't really know how close he'd come to getting there and how much he was pushing for it. Can you talk a little bit about that? On January 6th, Trump mentions in the speech he wants to go to the Capitol. But as as we know, he says a lot of things in speeches that he doesn't necessarily mean or that are just completely fabricated. It could have been plausible to think that he made that up on the spot and never had any intention of going. But what we saw on Tuesday was a lot of evidence that this was part of an ongoing conversation and that he was trying to get his deputy chief of staff, who it sounds like manages security, to arrange it with the Secret Service. And there were conversations about it. Uh, in the days leading up to it, the the White House lawyer, the White House defense attorney, in some respects, it sounds like from from this testimony, was aware of this plan. Kevin McCarthy, the congressman, the leader of the Republicans in the House, was aware of this plan. This was not just a spur of the moment thing he said in his speech. It was something he he absolutely wanted to do. It had been had been pushing to do the entire week, and that goes back to the conversation on January second with Rudy Giuliani. Do we know what he wanted to do there? <laughs> it's unclear. Uh, although I think, as Jim Newell, Slate's uh, congressional correspondent, put it, you have to think of Trump's brain as being basically, he's the producer of a WWE, a professional wrestling show starring himself. Like that's w- how his brain works all the time. And so the best guess is probably that he wanted to get another photo. But yeah, it, it doesn't sound like it was entirely clear what would have happened. And I think that's probably part of the reason why the the Secret Service was extremely hesitant to do it because they didn't know where he wanted to go or what would happen in that environment. Well, the Secret Service and the president's own lawyers, like Pat Cipollone was warning, like, don't, don't come, don't go, don't do this because it leaves us legally liable. What were the legal concerns if he showed up at the Capitol? I think that one one thing that was especially striking was the way that the things Pat Cipollone was allegedly was reportedly saying, according to Cat City Hutchinson, in the days leading up to January 6th, were so prescient when compared to the kind of crimes that legal experts, that people on the committee are 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 apparently looking at when they're building this case against Donald Trump. Uh, you have. Um, Phrases like obstructing justice, obstruction Congress, defrauding the United States, uh, interfering with the electoral count. These are all things that, according to Hutchinson, uh, White House counsel Pat Cipollone was saying. He was naming these potential crimes and saying, you are going to be more culpable for those if you go with this crowd, which apparently intends to interrupt the electoral count. Cassidy Hutchinson told this one particular story about how far the president was willing to go to try to get to the Capitol. It's about what happened once he got in the car and it became clear Secret Service is not driving him where he wanted to go. Can you tell that story? 
So according to Hutchinson, she gets back to the White House after the speech that Trump had given at this rally and uh, is immediately told by the deputy chief of staff and in the presence of the head of the Secret Service detail that Donald Trump, when he got in the in his vehicle after the speech, thought he was going to the Capitol, thought he was dri- he was riding down to the Capitol, where at that point, uh, the, I don't know if rioters were inside the building, but the some security had already been overrun. This is something that, that the committee was... Uh, careful about showing. He thought he was going there. And when he was told that the Secret Service had not been able to or prepare a route for him, he, <laughs> in this telling, attempts to grab the wheel of the of the vehicle and, and then tries to push off uh, the head of his detail, who's, who's telling him to get his hands off the wheel of the car. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Engel. And we should say that the Secret Service has said maybe they would potentially challenge Cassidy Hutchinson's telling here, but we have no reason to doubt her. And this is the story we know at this moment. Yes, uh, there's been reports that people inside the Secret Service say that there will be there could be people who would testify that this didn't take place. Uh, you have to take that with a grain of salt because these are not people speaking on the record. We're under oath. So it remains to be seen whether there will be a challenge to this, uh, you know, in, at, at the hearing or in any potential legal, legal proceedings down the line. But as as with some of the other things in the hearing, you could tell, I think, that uh, Representative Cheney was aware or, or aware that this was a possibility because she asked several follow-up questions to Hutchinson about when you were told this story about people who were in the room with you, did any of them say that's not what happened or that didn't happen? And Hutchinson said, no, no, this is. And she says, did any of them approach you later and say that that that, that whole thing in the in the car that really didn't happen? And she said, no. So there, it seems like the committee was aware that this is something that they could be challenged on and is trying to set up her credibility. One of the things that was weird about watching this testimony is how incredibly central this very young aide was. She saw everything, every little thing, and in some cases was in contact with people who were in real power, like Kevin McCarthy from the House of Representatives, who were trying to get her to do things. And the reason it was strange was just she theoretically did not have a ton of power, but it shows to you how chaotic things were. At this point. Right. And it's and that even is just one slice of the chaos that was taking place. We got to see kind of one thread, one story of what was going on that day. And uh, it it goes to show you why it took so long to come up with a response to the riot at the Capitol, because there was just I mean, no one no one was in charge. And so chaos reigned. We'll be right back. President Trump was not the only one under the microscope in Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony. The former aide described three camps of people on January 6th, all pushing the president in different directions. There were those trying to get Trump to break with the rioters, 
Hutchinson puts Ivanka Trump in that category. There were those just keeping their heads down, trying to make it through the day. And then there were those who took a third approach. Deny, deflect, and blame Antifa for what was happening at the Capitol. Cassidy Hutchinson puts her own former boss in that last camp. In fact, she said he was deflecting and denying, all while trying to appear neutral. All in all, the picture she paints of Mark Meadows, it's not flattering. There were two different times when Hutchinson uh, spoke to Meadows in her telling that she finds him on the couch in his office, kind of like looking at his phone, which is kind of like kind of the way that every, all of us are familiar with, just kind of like scrolling through his phone, like kind of typing some stuff. Uh, and in both these situations, she had expected to find him reacting to uh, outside events, but he didn't seem to have an interest in doing anything that would protect the president legally or in dissuading the president from this course of action. And then in contrast, you have White House counsel Pat Cipollone, who seems incredibly fired up in her telling, trying to urge the president not to go to the Capitol. And then once the riot begins happening, he's urging Trump to get his supporters to back off. And at some point, he actually goes to Meadows and says, hey, we need to talk to the president. And Meadows sort of shrugs his shoulders like, eh. He doesn't want to do anything. It, it was just, it was such a contrast between those two men and how they reacted to this moment. Right. And you can kind of see how their their respective interests reflected in that. I mean, Meadows is, is someone who has just hitched his, his wagon to Trump for, for better or worse for probably the rest of his career. Cipollone is there uh, as a lawyer who probably wants to work as an attorney in Washington, D.C. going forward and doesn't want to be responsible for abetting the kind of worst series of crimes ever committed by the president or or in the in the capital in American history. So they they have certainly differing motivations there. And yes, Cipollone appears to be much, much more aware of I guess you could just say reality. I, I think he understood that this was not gonna work and was just doing his best to prevent as much of it as he could in Hutchinson's telling. Can we talk about the Republican reaction to this hearing? Because it was interesting to me to see there were kind of two camps here. You have like the Mick Mulvaney's who Mick Mulvaney was Trump's chief of staff before Mark Meadows. And he was basically saying, you know, I believe this woman and this is a big deal. And then you had like, for instance, the House Republican Twitter feed basically mocking the testimony, not specifically, not saying anything in particular was wrong. But just being gross online in a way that I guess we should all expect at this point, but still was kind of shocking. Right. And then you have Donald Trump himself on his private social network, Truth Social, sending out, I don't know, seven or eight tweets about Hutchinson and how he, of course, didn't, I don't know who this person is. She was never around, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know her. Yeah, exactly. Just stuff that's completely implausible. I mean, there are pic- <laughs> there's pictures of them standing next to each other. It's Mark Meadows' uh, top assistant and top aide, and she's around the White House all the time. I mean, it's something that he says all the time when something like this happens. Um, and I don't think needs to be taken too seriously on its face, but it, it does kind of go to show that this is being taken seriously by people in the Republican Party. You know, if you don't think something is damaging, you don't respond to it. That's like politics 101. There were a lot of responses to yesterday's testimony. There's this kind of uh, argument, running argument that she was too junior, that she's, you know, that she's making things up. And I think that that is really all undercut by just who she is. I, I mean, this is not someone who is ever going to be, as you know, as far as I can tell, 
in a lot of trouble. This is not someone who was going to be at the top of the list for the January 6th committee to nail. This is not someone the Department of Justice is going to try to put away for 20 years. This is just someone... Meaning she has no motivation to lie. Right. She's not someone who's trying to save her own hide is kind of like the defense attorney parlance for that kind of thing. You know, as we said, she was not a particularly senior person. She's just someone who happened to be here. And it seems like she's been pretty consistent throughout all of her testimony. It seemed like multiple interviews with the committee and then her testimony on Tuesday in giving a pretty firm account of events that is backed up by text messages and emails and other people's testimony. It just doesn't, you know, she's a bombshell witness and there's there's no real reason for her to, to lie about these things. Her position was really underlined to me, her meaning Cassidy Hutchinson's position. When the hearing ended with Liz Cheney reading aloud these anonymized witnesses who had told the committee exactly the way Donald Trump had tried to shape their testimony had sort of, it basically sounded like if you were going to testify in front of the January 6th committee and you were part of Trump world, some person would probably call you in the days leading up and would say, hey, just remember, Trump is watching you. It seemed like a straight-up gangster move. Right. The boss is watching. He's, you know, he's paying extra attention to what you're going to say. You know, he's very loyal to those who are loyal to him, that sort of thing, exactly. He reads the transcripts, is right, what one right. person said. Uh, yeah, some, some uh, certainly some immediate debate uh, at Slate about whether that's actually true. Trump, not, a, not notoriously uh, known for, for being a reader, a close reader of, of documents. But ending the hearing like that, it made me worry for Cassidy Hutchinson. She just really put herself out there. What happens to her now? Right. That's another thing that you would think speaks to her credibility. Uh, as as these messages to these other witnesses evidently made very clear, there is still a career in politics around Donald Trump for anyone who chooses not to testify or who gives kind of a flattering or exculpatory account of, of their own behavior and of his behavior, there's an obvious career path for people who, who stay loyal to him. There is not an obvious career path within the Republican Party right now for someone like Cassidy Hutchinson. I mean, she's not going back to work for Mark Meadows. She's not going back to work for Representative Kevin McCarthy. You know, Slate has this feature, the crimometer, <laughs> which measures like how crimey the testimony has been for the January 6th committee. Where's your personal crimometer right now for Donald Trump having witnessed this latest hearing? Well, I think that when when Hutchinson recounts Pat Cipollone saying, if you do this, then you will be committing these specific crimes. And then Trump doesn't quite exactly do, he, didn't, he did not physically appear at the Capitol, but he certainly encouraged people to go to the Capitol with the knowledge, uh, apparently, allegedly, from having been told by, by an attorney that interfering with the electoral count would be a crime. The crime-o-meter shot up pretty high at, at that moment. And, and, you know, I think bear in mind that there's no cross-examination of witnesses uh, happening right here. So the unimaginable media circus of a Donald Trump trial would, would involve probably tough questions for Cassidy Hutchinson and others about exactly how much they heard, where they were, whether, how much they remember. So certainly it's not a slam dunk case yet, but it's getting closer to be one. And then I think one thing, as the committee has, has been doing at every hearing, 
is they lay the, the groundwork for the next hearing. And one thing that they brought up a few times today was this idea that Meadows was in communication with people who were in communication themselves with the Proud Boys, with the Oath Keepers, with some of the groups that, that really led in, in an almost military fashion the attack on the Capitol. So I think that's one kind of uh, thread that the committee wants people to start tugging on. And, is, and it's kind of, they're kind of telling you that there, there's even more to this story. Ben Mathis Lilly, thank you so much for explaining all this to me. Thank you for having me. Ben Mathis Lilly is a senior writer at Slate. Late Wednesday, the House Select Committee issued a subpoena to former White House counsel Pat Cipollone. They said the investigators need to hear from him on the record, as other former White House counsels have done in other congressional investigations. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Carmel Del Shad, Mary Wilson, Alina Schwartz, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support right now from Anna Rubinova and Jared Downing. We are led by Joanne Levine and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. Say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you on Monday. What Next TBD? They've got it from here.